What is up, film lovers, and welcome back to the Feminist Film Club podcast. I can't tell you how excited I am to be back, back doing what I love, explaining movies to people who actually care about what I'm talking about, and not just my mom. I do love you though, mom. Anyway, it has been a heck of a year for those of us in the industry, for those of us who don't work in the industry. But for those of you who don't and are not familiar with what we went through this year, we had an 148-day writer's strike. And on top of that, we had an 118-day actor's strike. And it was the first time two separate unions, so the WGA and SAG, were on strike at the same time. Since the 60s. Basically, film as it is was wiped out. And it was, I believe, the biggest stop in production since COVID. So we were just twiddling our thumbs, thinking about how we're going to make money for the next however long this is going to be. So if you're wondering what I was doing, I was waitressing at a country club, which was insane, honestly. I learned so many people skills from doing that that I will take with me for the rest of my life. I'm very lucky that I really did enjoy everyone that I worked with, but you'd think I would have been suited for working the long hours as a waitress because I work long hours on sets and I'm on my feet all the time, but nobody talks about how hard it is not doing what you love. I would explain to people, I'm like, oh, I can work 24 hours on a set and not blink an eye, be like, la la la, I love this. But then I go and I work one shift at the club and I was like, oh my God, I'm so tired, I'm so frail. Anyway, besides that, it is so nice to see everyone back at work. So the reason why I took such a long hiatus from the podcast was because I was working at this country club and I literally would go to work, go to sleep, and then do it all again the next day. So I had no time to do anything for myself. I was just so busy and burnt out from doing that that I barely had time or the energy to record or even write my own stuff. But obviously you cannot burn the candle at both ends and sometimes just existing is exhausting, okay? So you gotta remember that. But the day the strikes ended, I skipped through that dining room like a kid in a candy store. But anyway, The minute I found out it was going to be my last shift, I started going to the gym again. I was hustling. I was writing. I was looking for jobs, doing everything I wanted to do. I was reading my screenwriting books again, watching multiple movies a day. Like The list goes on. I'm rambling. But if any of you guys are in this situation right now, I know it can be so, so hard to keep your head above the water. Like, I get it. And But you have to keep that end goal in sight. You have to. You're saying, I'm doing this for a reason. I'm doing this for a reason. One day it's going to be worth it. It was so worth it in the end. Because I stuck it out and proved to myself that I could do it. Besides all that, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. That light might only look like a pinprick right now. That's what it looked like for me for a long time. But it is there. And it is coming. So just trust the process. So since quitting the club... I have a couple jobs now. It was just announced on their Instagram. I am an entertainment writer for a magazine called The New Black. My friend Daniel actually got me this job because his friend Olivia is the creative director of The New Black. Please go check them out. The New Black was invited to an event for Poor Things and Olivia took along my friend Daniel. She was like, I really need an entertainment writer. And my friend Daniel put me right up there. I owe him my firstborn, said, I have a friend. And I was like, oh my God, is it happening? Am I finally getting a job? Like, oh, like I didn't know what to do. I was freaking out. And put me in contact with her. I met the team and they hired me and they just posted me on their socials for the first time today. And it was so exciting. All of the support I got from it was just so nice. And I'm still smiling and blushing from it today. On top of that, after I met the team at the New Black, gave them a whole spiel about myself, Another writer named Naomi 
said that her creative development company, which is called Star Fairy Productions, needed a creative development intern. And I was like, me, 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 please pick me. Hi. I was like waving my hand in the camera. There was no one else there, but I was like, I would love to do this. So basically they take projects and they help people pitch them to companies. And another thing I really like about their company is that they are super, super inclusive. So I sent her over my resume. So basically my job is to read the scripts that I'm assigned and write coverage on them so they can decide which projects they want to go with. See, I told you that pinprick just got a whole lot bigger whole lot bigger. Sometimes you just gotta be patient, you know? You're not too early, you're not too late, you are just on time. It is your timing and you just have to trust it. So anyway, enough about me. Um, I was racking my brain trying to figure out what I should talk about on my first episode back, you know? It has to be exciting. And I didn't want it to just be Oscar nominees because that's, that's predictable, you know? Well, even though I am going to talk about them because they just came out and it, but then I thought, Hmm. I love learning little fun facts about my favorite movies. After I watch a movie, I go right to YouTube, watch every single behind the scenes press junket interview I can watch to learn how that film got from point A to point B. I I'm just so obsessed with the process it takes to make a film because I honestly don't think people outside the industry realize just how much work and dedication and effort is put into this. So first, as quickly as possible, I'm just gonna go over all the categories and the nominees and my opinions, cause I have a lot. And then I will give fun facts about some of my favorite nominees. So in no particular order, actor in a leading role, we have Bradley Cooper for Maestro, Coleman Domingo for Rustin, Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers, Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer, and Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. All incredible, incredible, incredible contenders in this category. Everyone knows it's gonna go to Killian Murphy. That movie was actually insane and it deserves every single award that it will take home. I keep telling everyone that Oppenheimer is Christopher Nolan's version of Schindler's List because Schindler's List took everything home. Next up, we have actor in a supporting role, Sterling K. Brown in American Fiction, Robert De Niro, Killer of the Flower Moon, Robert Downey Jr., Oppenheimer, Ryan Gosling, Barbie, and Mark Ruffalo, Poor Things. Again, this one is going to Robert Downey Jr. He was absolutely fantastic in that role. And again, it was so nice to see him in something that wasn't Marvel, but Robert Downey Jr. killed this. Next up, we have actress in the leading role. We have Annette Benning in Nyan, Lily Gladstone, Killers of the Flower Moon, Sandra Hewler, Anatomy of a Fall, Carrie Mulligan, Maestro, and Emma Stone in Poor Things. So this is gonna go one of two ways. It's gonna go to Emma Stone or it's gonna go to Lily Gladstone. But ultimately, I do think Lily Gladstone will take this home, which would also be really cool because she would be the first native actress to win an Oscar. Next up, we have actress in a supporting role. Nominees are Emily Blunt Oppenheimer, Danielle Brooks, The Color Purple, America Ferreira, Barbie, Jodie Foster, Nyad, and Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. This one, fingers crossed, goes to Divine Joy Randolph. I absolutely loved her in this movie. She killed it. The Holdovers is my favorite film of the year. But also, Emily Blunt in that interrogation scene, just that alone might win her this Oscar, honestly. Next up, cinematography. We have El Conde, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, or Poor Things. Again, just gonna go to Oppenheimer. Costume design. Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, Napoleon, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things. I think they will give this one to Barbie because I genuinely think Barbie will take home the theatrical categories. I'm also very surprised, spoiler alert, that they were not even shortlisted for hair and makeup. And if you don't know what shortlisted means, uh, about a week before the actual nominations come out, the 
Academy will send out a shortlist, so about 10 films of the more lesser-known categories, and then from there they will pick the five films that will ultimately be nominated. So, next category, directing. Justine Treat, Anatomy of a Fall, Martin Scorsese, Killers of the Flower Moon, Christopher Nolan, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, Yorgos Lathemos, and The Zone of Interest, Jonathan Glazer. Again, Christopher Nolan's gonna take this. I just, I just know it. Next up, we have editing for Anatomy of a Fall, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things. It's gonna go to Oppenheimer again. I mean, the, the intricacy of some of those transitional periods of the film was like, oh my gosh. And I think we are all starting to see a theme now of the five films that are being nominated this year, which is normal for the Oscars. It's normal that there's that big hunk of the couple really good films of the year. Makeup and Hair, Golda, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, and Society of the Snow. This is a hard category. They made RDJ look so old <laughs> in a good way with the makeup and the hairstyling in this. And But that's the only thing that really stood out to me. So I honestly think this will probably go to Poor Things. Next up, music, original score, American Fiction, Indiana Jones, and the Dial of Destiny, Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer and Poor Things. This will go to Oppenheimer. He already won the Golden Globe for this. And the Golden Globes, I think I've said this before in a previous episode, are a very good telltale sign of who will win what, but it's hard because at the Golden Globes it's split up between drama and comedy, so it usually will come down to those two winners. Music, original song, The Fire Inside from Flame and Hot, I'm Just Ken from Barbie, It Never Went Away from American Symphony, A Song for My People from Killers of the Flower Moon, and What Was I Made For from Barbie. I think that What Was I Made For is totally gonna take this again and it would be a second win for Billy and Phineas because they also did win the Golden Globe. But What Was I Made For I think was the perfect encompass of what the film was about. And it's also a really good listen outside of the film as well. Then, Best Picture, American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. This one's going to Oppenheimer. The underdog is The Holdovers. I love that film. I wrote about it in my little journal that is dedicated to things that inspire me, and I went right up to my room after I watched that movie and journaled away. Production design, Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, Napoleon, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things. This better go to Barbie because you'll hear in one of my fun facts later. Why? I think it should go to them. Sound, The Creator, Maestro, Mission Impossible, Oppenheimer, and the Zone of Interest. Once again, Oppenheimer. Visual Effects, The Creator, Godzilla, Guardians of the Galaxy, Mission Impossible, and Napoleon. Now, you'll realize Oppenheimer is not on here for visual effects because you will see in my fun facts later why it's not here. Writing, adapted screenplay. So an adapted screenplay is taking something that already exists and putting it into a screenplay. So a book to a screenplay is adapted or Barbie in this case, it would be the characters are already created and then they made the script off of that. So that's why it's adapted. American fiction, Barbie, Oppenheimer, Poor Things and The Zone of Interest. I think this one's gonna go to Bobby. But again, for Oppenheimer, I have another fun fact about this too, so make sure you're listening. There's a reason I think it might go to Oppenheimer, but I'm really not sure. Writing for an original screenplay, we have Anatomy of a Fall, The Holdovers, Maestro, May, December, and Past Lives. This is a hard category, a really, really, really hard category. My top three in here, it's gonna be in no particular order. Anatomy of a Fall, The Holdovers, and Past Lives. So that is it for our Oscar nominations. And without further ado, let's finally get into the fun stuff, the fun facts, the ones you've all been waiting for, because I know I've been, I've been keeping them from you. So 
Let's start with Oppenheimer, which has 13 nominations. Fun facts. Remember how I said that they were not nominated for visual effects? Yeah, that's because the Trinity test scene was created with no CGI or special effects. They actually created a bomb and recorded it. So it happened on a smaller scale, obviously, because you're not gonna create a bomb that big for a movie. Christopher Nolan's visual effects supervisor, his name was Scott R. Fisher, created miniature explosions and then filmed those because obviously you're not gonna get all those shots you want from one huge explosion, so it just made sense to make it smaller, obviously. Next fun fact, Killian got his role without auditioning. He was just offered it. I think I've also said this before in previous episodes, like with Zendaya, she was just offered the role of Euphoria. She didn't have to, she didn't have to audition at all. So in some of the scenes, you can kind of hear that the dialogue is a little muffled or you can't really hear it and that was intentional interesting because with the cameras that Nolan wanted to use they aren't soundproofed and rather than having actors come in for ADR and re-record it he just wanted to keep it raw and natural because he wanted to keep the performance as it was and not do anything to it and make it sound weird if it was like you're whispering to someone and the sound is all like clear that would just feel weird so off of that with the cameras that Nolan wanted to use he opted to record on film and every single film package that was sent to movie theaters around the world were 600 pounds and 11 miles long. What? Like, that's just insane to me. So, remember I said something about adapted screenplay in Oppenheimer. It was between Barbie and Oppenheimer. Something really cool that Christopher Nolan did with the script was he wrote it all in first person, which I've never heard being done before. So instead of saying in an action line, like Oppenheimer solved the equation, it would say, I solved the equation. So it was coming right from the mind of Oppenheimer. And it's crazy because before I even saw the film, my cousin told me it felt like she was inside his head, which I totally agree with post watching it. And I wonder if that helped at all in the way that it was written. Second to last fact about Oppenheimer is that they all live in the middle of nowhere while filming. So they all got super close. And I think that is something that is really, really important on a film set is that if you guys work and are friends off camera you're gonna look better on camera and I feel like you can totally tell the films where people don't really like each other because they don't mesh it just doesn't it doesn't work lastly Christopher Nolan said he's been thinking about doing an Oppenheimer film since he was a teenager and how old is he now and Christopher Nolan is 53 years young now so it just shows how dedicated and true you have to stay to your craft you know what I mean obviously he knew he needed as much experience as he could get before creating a film like this. Next up, Poor Things with 11 nominations. Some fun facts. Um, so Emma Stone in an interview said that she never walked off set feeling like she totally got it that day. Like she never left and was like, oh, like that was a really good day. I think totally nailed it. She always said that she felt a little off leaving it just because her character Bella was so complex and there were so many layers. So off of that, her and her director, Yorgos, actually broke Bella into five stages throughout the film to help with the process. So when you're filming, you don't do it in order. So it's very hard to like go back and forth. So it was nice for them to look at the scripts, look at the sides for the day and be like, what page is this on? What scene is this? Okay, this is Bella in stage three this is what I have to do to do this performance today and then and then rather than shooting on location uh, production actually chose to build a dreamlike version of a European city to give it that golden age of Hollywood feel because that's what they were going for next up Killers of the Flower Moon with 10 nominations. So some fun facts for you. So for those of you who did not know this, this film is based off of a true story and the actors are actually playing real people. Sometimes they will make based on a true story, but then it's not the same characters, but these are real people that they're playing. The movie tells the story of the Osage murders that were wildly overlooked until David Grant's novel came out. And that book is called Killers of the Flower Moon, The Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI 
Martin Scorsese actually kept in contact with the Osage Nation while he was making the film, which I think is super cool just to make sure that he's telling it truthfully and honestly. Because it's their story. Making sure that their image isn't being obscured or anything. And last but not least, the film is three hours and 26 minutes long, but it keeps you entertained, so. Some people actually think that it might have been better told in a limited series, but that's none of my business. Next up, Bobby, eight nominations. You know what is so funny? My first fun fact is that Ken was nominated and Barbie wasn't. It's just, it's so ironic after the year that Barbie had. To not nominate Margot, which I kind of get. Did she give an amazing performance? Yes. But I think that the women who were nominated deserve it. I also went into the nominations knowing that she wasn't going to be nominated because the Academy is always going to favor a drama over a comedy. Always. It's how it's always been and it's how it always probably will be. But then the real kicker, the funniest of facts, was Greta Gerwig not getting nominated for Best Director. I mean, that was wild. And if you want to hear more about my opinion on that, you should go read my newest article for The New Black. I talk all about it. It's super fun. You should go read it. Anyway, let's get into the actual fun facts now that we've got that off of our chest. You know when you played with Barbies when you were younger? and the houses and the cars always seemed disproportionate to how big the Barbie was. Well, the production designers actually took that into account and they made all of the sets 33% smaller so that they would look unproportional to the actors. Like mind freaking, like who thinks to do that? People are so smart and that's why they are nominated for an Oscar. Another fun fact, which I think a lot of people know, but just in case you don't, everything Margot has worn on the red carpet since the film came out, all pay homage to Barbies from the past. Like have fun for her stylist, you know, to be able to pick and choose all of your favorite Barbie looks and recreate them and have fun for Margot that she gets to wear them. Next fun fact, the film needed so much pink paint that they created an international shortage. What? Margot Robbie. Margot made everyone wear pink on Wednesdays. And I'm not sure if this is real or not. It's probably not because it's Brian Gosling said that Margot would find them if they didn't. Next fun fact, the iconic shot of Margot's feet in the heels and then her taking them off and her feet still being arched was actually her feet. She came out in an interview. She's like, I'm not using no stunt doubles for that. Like those are my feet. So what they did was they put double stick tape on the bottom of the heels and then she held onto a bar as she stepped out of them so that the heels would stay there and she would not wobble. And I remember watching that in the trailer and being like, oh, that was a shot. That, that was it. Next one, the underwear that Ryan Gosling is wearing in all the promo shoots, like the first ever picture we saw of Ryan Gosling as Ken, where he's wearing the Calvin Klein underwear, but it says Ken. That was his idea. And I'm not even surprised. Something that's so cute, again, with getting the cast together and making sure they mesh outside of the film, every great director needs to make sure that their cast is doing this, was that every Sunday they had a movie church where they got together and watched movies that inspired Greta while she was writing the film. Like, ugh, it's so cute. Next up, when Margot was trying to get Ryan for the role, she said, I'll give you a present every day you're on set. And Ryan was like, okay, like fine, I'll do it. So every day on set, Margot gave Ryan a beach inspired present and it was there in his trailer every single day that they were filming because she stays true to her word. Last but not least, Greta tried to get an appearance from Shira Ronan and Timothy Chalamet, but scheduling conflicts did not allow for it. My last film of the day, my favorite film of the year, Holdovers with five nominations. So first fun fact, Dominic Sessa, who played Angus Tully, it was his first big role ever. I think he had only done like community theater 
productions and stuff like that. And Paul insisted that Alexander Payne, who was the director, give Dominic a try despite the lack of acting on his resume. And he did a great job. So thanks, Paul. In my opinion, I thought Dominic Sessa deserved a nomination. But alas, he has his whole life ahead of him to get another one. So it's but he was the winner of the Critics' Choice Award for Best Young Performer. Totally deserved. He was really good in this film. The next fun fact, which I think is really cool, was the entire film was filmed in practical locations, meaning that there were no sets used, so everything was on location, where they filmed in Massachusetts at the school, up in the city of Boston, like everything. So they filmed at Fairhaven School in Massachusetts, and when they were shooting, there was actually a snowstorm. How lucky. And the cast and crew took full advantage of it because the snow takes place during a snowstorm. Next up, the, though the film itself had a very 70s look to it, and I'm not talking about costumes and hair when I say this because that's a given. I'm saying like the look of the shot itself when it's on your TV, the green, the dirt, the gate weave, it gave, but um, it was all done in post with filters and color grading, which I think was pretty cool. So going off of the 70s theme, so since the movie had a very 70s feel, much like the time where it takes place, the opening credits also last a very long time, just like the movies of that time, which, mm, pretty cool. Um, this one's funny. <laughs> Dominic Sessa, who plays Angus again, didn't know how to use a rotary phone, which is one of the ones where you go around the circle. So we had to be shown how to use it. Next up, this is dedication and probably borderline method acting. Divine Joy Randolph, who plays Mary, the cafeteria lady, doesn't smoke in real life, but she thought that the look of smoking fake cigarettes didn't look right. So I don't know if she knew or she tried, but she figured out that American spirits were her least favorite. So when she was on set, she smoked those so she could easily quit she knew she didn't like them. And last but not least, before Dominic was cast, his character was originally supposed to be a freshman, but he doesn't look like a freshman. So they changed him to a senior because of the way he looked pretty cool and people can be flexible, you know? So that is all I have for you guys today. I'm so, so excited to be back at this podcast again. I'm so thankful to everyone who's listening to everyone who has listened in the past or will in the future. I just love talking about movies and I love that I have a little community of people that actually want to listen to me because I seriously think my friends are getting sick of it. So thank you. And I have a surprise for you guys next week. I have a really good interview with a really good friend of mine and we're going to have a lot of fun. So make sure you guys tune in. This is Megan Mealy signing off. Thank you for listening to the Feminist Film Club podcast. And as always, happy movie watching.